Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I have always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. Dr. Forbes, thank you so much for being here with me today as we uh, have another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. Uh, we meet this way uh, often to uh, discuss issues that are of importance uh, to my constituents and the constituents of many others. And I am honored today, absolutely honored, uh, to have one of my heroes as my guest, Reverend Dr. James A. Forbes, Jr. Uh, he's got the right first name, uh, and I have always honored my relationship with him for many reasons. One is the fact that my father uh, was a minister, uh, and I thought I would follow him into the ministry. Uh, we talked about it often, uh, but after getting out of jail for about the second or third time uh, back in 1960, I went home to tell my dad that I decided not to go to the seminary. And I thought he would be very disappointed, and maybe he was. But my dad said to me on that occasion, well, son, he said, I suspect the world would much rather see a sermon than to hear one. Yes. And that has been the case with Reverend Dr. Forbes. He has delivered many sermons, but his life has been a sermon for everybody to see. He is a founder and current president of the Healing of the Nations Foundation. Uh, he's still senior minister uh, emeritus for the Riverside Church uh, in New York and the Harry Emerson Fostick Distinguished Professor at Union Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Forbes was called to the ministry in 1956 and was installed as the fifth senior minister of the Riverside Church in 1989, becoming the first African-American to serve as the senior minister of one of the largest multicultural congregations in the nation. He's also the brother-in-law of one of my favorite people, Ed Towns. Uh, Ed and I share the same birthday. And I make sure when I mention that, that July 21st is our birth date. We don't share the same birth date. I still call him 
uh, a senior member, uh, and now a former senior member of the Congressional Black Caucus. And so I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Forbes, for agreeing to uh, participate in this podcast with us and welcome you uh, to this podcast taking place in the month of June, uh, which is Black Music Appreciation Month, which is the reason I uh, wanted you to be here with us today because one of those Black musical renditions that all of us are so proud of and so emotionally attached to is a song, Lift Every Voice and Sing. That song I've known all of my life. It appears uh, in dozens of church hymnals. The song is a hymn. Uh, the song came from a poem written by James Weldon Johnson, uh, whose brother, as a part, who became a part of the Harlem Renaissance, wrote the lyrics to the song, uh, or to the poem, and made it a song. And, but it's a hymn. Uh, and I've always cringed over the years uh, when I've heard people refer to it as the Black National Anthem. Now I know where that came from. That was uh, the NAACP back in the 1930s made that their official hymn. Uh, and we started referring to it as, a, as an anthem, but it's not an anthem, it's a hymn. And so after five or six years of contemplation, uh, I finally built up enough nerve to file legislation uh, to ask my colleagues to make lift every voice and sing our national hymn to supplement uh, our national anthem. Uh, the Star Spangled Banner is our national anthem. And I believe uh, that making lift every voice and sing our national hymn would be a great thing to do. Now, along the way, I found out, as my dad used to tell me all the time, son, there ain't nothing new under the sun. I thought I was doing something that was new, only to find out uh, that James Forbes uh, had been involved in that in a much more personal way with the family than I was. And so he uh, was a part of this effort long before I became legislatively attached to it. And he's here today to share with us uh, his thoughts about the poem, uh, the song, and the family that gave it to us. And with that, as his brother-in-law would say, I yield uh, to the gentleman, uh, the emeritus, senior minister emeritus of Riverside Church. Dr. James A. Forbes. Thank you so very much, Congressman. Let me say to you that if your father were here, it would be my delight to say, in a strange way, while you did not accept the pulpit as the place of your ministry, God won out 
because you have indeed been a very special minister to this nation. So I don't want to even get to what you said I'm going to talk about before telling you. We know that you and your voice actually made the difference in our present governmental arrangement. We would not have Mr. Biden as our president were it not for your speaking up. So you can call yourself a minister if you want to. I think God sees you as a minister to the freedom and justice that belongs to this nation. And I'm glad you didn't go to the pulpit because you are in a bully pulpit and you are making a difference in our nation. That's enough to say about that, but that, that's the way we see you. And therefore we pray for you that your enterprises will be simply the extension of God's prophetic will for this nation. So that's all I got to say about that. But about music and this, and this Black Month uh, of celebration of Black music, Lift Every Voice and Sing was so special to me when I was growing up. We sang it all the time. In every major Black event, we sang it. But I agree with you. There's something about Lift Every Voice and Sing that is not Black at all, that you can read every word in it. There is nothing that's particular to any ethnicity at all. It is about the human struggle. It is about all of us longing for liberty. It is about all of us trying to find the path that allows us to honor our God and our native land. So I agree with you 100%. Lift every voice and sing would be an enrichment, an enhancement of the quality of life of this nation. For an example, when Nelson Mandela had his inauguration, those who were planning it says, well, we know what we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing in Kosi Sikilele. And Nelson says, because we are separated over the years through apartheid, now that we are coming together, why don't we sing the Africana hymn and in Kosisikalele? That is to say, we are stronger when we who have been apart learn to sing together. We sing their hymn, they sing our hymn, and they become our hymns together. Their anthem, our hymn, there is a unity that we have been looking for. And when we can begin to sing together, maybe we can be one people. So I think that the, the United States of America should heed your legislative appeal and make lift every voice and sing a national hymn. Let me say, you will recall that the national hymn that we used to think about was God of our fathers. It turns out that God of our fathers is a Christian hymn. Even the language is Christian. Our nation is pluralistic. We represent multiple religious traditions, multiple ethnicities, so that thing, that anything that is going to be a national hymn has got to be inclusive of all of us. There is no way you can look at Lift Every Voice and Sing without coming away saying, 
that's a hymn for all of us. It does not, in a sense, privilege any one tradition. It does not single out any one struggle. All of us have a stake in the values that are represented in that hymn. So I think that that was the, the um, James Weldon Johnson was also used as a prophetic voice. God allowed him to write a hymn that's a hymn for all of us. And why that's so insignificant, why it's so significant is that God wants all of us to know that we are one people. We are one family. We experiment with all sorts of social uh, patterns, etc. But at the end of the day, it's not black, it's not white, is is not Latino, it's not Asian. We are one family, and the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we will be on our way to rescuing our democratic society from what seems to be an assault against its continued existence. So I celebrate this. Now, in regards to uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing, when I, at Riverside Church, when we started having our Juneteenth event, Lift Every Voice and Sing was also very special. And also, I dearly loved Roland Carter's uh, anthem. Now, he had turned it not just into a hymn, but into an anthem. I loved that so dearly until I started saying, we ought to make this a national hymn. We started it out really in 2015 at Riverside. And the members of the family were there for that event. And I had a chance to talk with them. And I must acknowledge that 85 years old, I'm getting a little old. I do not remember the names of the members of the family that met with me. And I said, y'all, I said, y'all, you know, I'm from the South where you are from. I said, y'all, let's not stop until we make this thing a national hymn. And so when the word came out that you had introduced the legislation, a member of the family whose name I cannot share with you now because I've forgotten what the name was, called and said, do you know that Congressman Clyburn is attempting to make this thing a national hymn? And uh, so, so I just want you to know that. So, And that's why I called you to let you know that, look, man, anything I can do to help make that hymn our national hymn, and I agree, I'm not trying to cast aside Star Spangled Banner, though there were periods in which we had conversation about that. I'm gonna leave that alone. We're gonna keep the we're gonna keep the 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 anthem that we've got, but we're gonna add to it this hymn. And if we can do that, I think that the God of the universe will say they're coming along. Maybe they can be the great nation that they always aspire to be. So my, now, I don't want to talk longer than I ought to talk. That's basically my hope that this thing will happen. And there's another reason why it ought to happen. Uh, Congressman Clyburn, one of the major problems in our society is that we have become a despiritualized society. We, quietest is kept, have kicked the spirit to the curb. And in many instances, we've kicked truth to the curb. We've kicked God to the curb insofar as we human beings think we have the capacity to do that. To bring a hymn to the nation a hymn that honors God 
as we worship God from different traditions helps us to say we are not a nation trying to be great apart from the spirit. We need the spirit. We need the spirit to help make us a community. We need the spirit to help give us a commitment to truth. We need the spirit to help us treat each other as brothers and sisters. This hymn actually will deepen the reality of our being a truly democratic and spiritual society. And that's another reason the hymn helps us to know that we are not just a political body, a body politic, we are a people all made in the image of God. That I think will cause us to breathe a little more freely when we have at least said yes to the legislation you have presented to the Congress. Well, thank you so much for that background and thanks for your uh, interactions with the uh, Johnson family. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, both of us are sons of the South, uh, sons of the Carolinas. Yes. Be, uh, of course, I used to tease uh, Ed all the time. I called him a Northerner, uh, being from North Carolina. Right. Uh, and of course, I'm from South Carolina. But what's so interesting about all of this, and maybe uh, some of our uh, listeners here may not know it, but James Weldon uh, and John Roseman uh, were from Jacksonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, and that family, uh, in fact, uh, the point uh, that he wrote was first um, uh, presented uh, by some students uh, there in Jacksonville to celebrate Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Uh, and then uh, his brother, who uh, became a part of the Harlem Renaissance, uh, put the music to it. Uh, and of course, we got this tremendous, iconic hymn uh, that we all love so much. And it's kind of, you know, I used to think, well, you wouldn't dare have a meeting of the NAACP. And I used to be president of my NAACP Youth, uh, youth Council. I, I got elected that when I was only 12 years old. Uh, but we used to sing that song at all of our meetings. And it's kind of interesting, but uh, when we met with Nancy Pelosi there here on the Hill to, uh, as she signed the enrollment uh, of uh, Juneteenth as a national holiday, um, I, I, uh, Nancy thinks of things like this. She, um, when I looked at the programs, she had herself presiding, had me uh, to give the little remarks. And at the end, that we all were going to join and sing and lift every voice and sing. I had not even thought about that at the time. And so uh, there we are uh, celebrating, uh, making Juneteenth a national holiday and closing the program by singing, lift every voice and sing. And when the song ended, she kind of walked behind me and whispered, tell them about the legislation um, to make this a national hymn. And so uh, I got a chance to, uh, to talk about my efforts there uh, and yours. And then uh, to, I guess it was today, earlier today, I'm walking through the Capitol and one of the reporters said to me, uh, uh, we need you 
you're the singer at every one of your press conferences or something uh, to that extent. But the song touched him. I don't know if he'd ever heard it before, but he, he was scared of it. He didn't do but one verse, uh, mm -hmm. but it touched him. And doing Black Music Month, this is just a great uh, way for us to, time for us to talk about this. And I, I want to thank you for all that you've done. And maybe uh, you may want to expand upon that. Since you're celebrating uh, at the Riverside Church, uh, you said you started in 2015? We started in 2015 and kept it there, 2015, 16, 17, 18. And then 2019, we moved it to Carnegie Hall. I said, you know, everybody wants to go to Carnegie Hall. So why don't we take the Juneteenth celebration to Carnegie Hall? At the time, I started in 2015 saying, we got to make Juneteenth a national holiday. Turns out that I married a woman. I call her my yellow rose of Texas. She's from San Antonio. And she used to tell me how they used to celebrate Juneteenth. And when she talked about it, how they would go down to Breckenridge Park, that was the only day Black people were free to go to that park, how they drank their red soda, how they ate their lamb and the various other foods prepared for that day, how they dress up and all of that. I, when she talked to me about it, I was so moved that I said, every year we're going to have a Juneteenth celebration here at the Riverside Church. That was when I was a pastor. But when we went to Carnegie Hall, we had it the first year, 2019. And then the next year, the COVID-19 came on and we had it virtual. And this year, we celebrated it all over again. And people might be able to get it on YouTube uh, uh, called uh, Carnegie Live, uh, Juneteenth. But that, that holiday is so very special because if we don't, in a sense, acknowledge that that was that slavery and racism were part of the original sin of this nation if we don't celebrate that we are glad somehow god delivered us from that scourge we won't be the nation we ought to be and fascinating to me is that july 4th was clearly the day we celebrated being free from the control of the british crown well, it turns out that Juneteenth was the first day all Americans were free. Now, if you can't celebrate the day when all of us were free, something is missing in your understanding of the American dream. So I'm, I'm actually fascinated that, and, and, and we look at you, Biden, Biden, when you when you whispered in his ear, it looked like the spirit spirit got with your whisper, and it sounds thunderous in his mind. So so when he signed that thing after coming back from his visit overseas, representing us over there, when he signed that thing, I said, you know, God can do anything but fail. It felt to me that you almost need a divine explanation to, 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 to really explain why that thing happened. Yeah. How in, actually, really, when George Floyd 
was murdered and they had the protest, many of the corporations as well as the networks started talking about Juneteenth. But I think maybe they might have forgotten it, but when Biden put the pen oh, to yeah. the paper, it reminded us all, oh, you can't get away from this. We're stuck with it, stuck with freedom. That ain't a bad thing to be, stuck with freedom, freedom for us all. That's absolutely correct. And it's so interesting uh, how all of that happened, uh, coming back from overseas uh, with one day to spare, uh, this bill passed in the Senate unanimously. Uh, in, and it was kind of unexpected. I talked to uh, Senator Cornyn, who uh, sponsored the bill along with Senator Mockley uh, over in the Senate. And I, I asked him, I said, uh, uh, was it a surprise when someone told you uh, that the hole had been lifted and uh, the bill was free to go forward? He said, yes. He said, I did not expect it. Uh, so uh, that happened, it was unexpected. The bill gets over to us and people are talking about when, the, when can we get this bill to the floor? I mean, less than 24 hours later, the bill was on the floor and, 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 and we pass it. The next morning, Nancy Pelosi enrolls it. And the same afternoon, the president signed it. This being a Thursday, <laughs> what the, I flew out to uh, Kansas City uh, to be at the um, uh, Truman Foundation uh, for a Friday noon service. And I found out when I landed there uh, that the federal judges in Kansas City all huddled uh, virtually that afternoon and says, we're closing up the federal buildings tomorrow. So the, the federal government in many places closed down Friday. So within three days, passed the law, signed in the law, and people were celebrating it uh, with a holiday, all in three days. Be careful when you mention three days, because three God. days has very special meaning, man. That's exactly why I mentioned it. I know the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. You there? All right, Take all it. right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> three days. Three days was an Easter, a resurrection in three days Absolutely. on the third day. All right. Absolutely. That's exactly. so. That so I'm thinking there must be a God somewhere. Absolutely. And if that's the case. I'm trying to wait to see what God is going to do about the voting rights bill and about the other bills that are before you now. Somehow, I am praying. That's, I'm looking to the Lord. Lord, if you did that, then you can also help us get through this impasse where there is such an effort to rob people of the freedom of participation in the democratic process. So I'm looking at that same God, the same God that could, I don't know what God is going to do, but at least we already know God can do. And uh, if we keep on waiting, it may not come when we want them, but we'll be right on time. Well, I think that's a great way uh, to close this discussion. I wanna thank you so much uh, for being here with me today. And since we are celebrating, as I said, once again, uh, Black Music Appreciation Month, let me close this by referring to your uh, comments uh, with a song. I'm not gonna sing it, 
but one of the songs uh, back in the 60s, we used to sing often, uh, Wade in the Water. Uh, and there's a line there, God's going to trouble the waters. Uh, and um, I think, like you, I'm holding out hope that the all don't see it. Uh, being the uh, PK that I am, uh, I often refer to that 11th chapter of Hebrew, the first verse, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. I know what I'm hoping for, and I don't see it, but I got faith that it's there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.